John chapter 10, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from, my, from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed miraculous, a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Here ends the reading. Well, the question we're going to deal with this morning is, do you believe the evidence? When is the evidence just not enough for us? We are told that everything around us, the whole of creation, is in fact evidence of God. And in fact, the Bible tells us we have no excuse This evidence was all around me the first 44 years of my life, but I didn't see it, and I certainly didn't recognize it. The problem was that I had not acknowledged that there, in fact, was a God at all, and that he had created everything. And, of course, in such a situation, I couldn't possibly see nature as any evidence of a God, and certainly at that point could also not make heads or tails of anything I was reading in the Bible when I started. And this is all partly the problem here in this passage. 
It's about believing the evidence. But let us pray that we won't have problems understanding and indeed responding to what we have. Our gracious Father, we come to you to ask that you through your Holy Spirit will open our hearts wide to this passage where Jesus so clearly teaches not just the Jews and the Pharisees, Lord, he teaches his disciples the truth that they may use it and understand it to proclaim the gospel after he has gone back to heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 22, Then came the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. Well, I don't know if you know what uh, the feast of dedication is, because uh, it's actually not mentioned at all in the Old Testament, in the laws, in the Pentateuch. But it was a dedication that came about. It is also known as a Hanukkah. Uh, it was 165 years before Christ that there was a desecration of the temple and they offered a pig to Zeus on the altar in the temple and therefore they had to rededicate it. That's what the dedication feast is all about. Now, at this point, we are in late November, maybe early December, and Jesus is back into the temple court, back in the very same court, where he not that far long ago was actually going to be stoned to death for saying the things he said. And with that, I'm not going to drop any guilt trip of any, of our, any one of you, but uh, how often do we as humans, how often do we shy away from things that makes us uncomfortable or leave us sort of feeling unsafe in some way? See, there are so many places around the world that would be considered really unbelievably unsafe for any Christian to find themselves. We can go to North Korea, you would not be safe. You can go to China, Iran, you can even go to Turkey or large parts of Africa and you would be totally unsafe as a Christian. But what if, what if you were called by God to go to these areas and share the gospel? Think of Jonah going to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, but he did. He, he was convinced it would be a good idea to go to Nineveh, Iran, Iraq. But what would you do? Well, it's an age-old quandary we find ourselves in with the question, what would Jesus do? And, of course, we have this everlasting want and desire, don't we, to be more like Jesus every day of our lives. Well, we have the answer here. He goes, Jesus goes wherever the Father needs him to go, even if that place places him in the danger zone, just saying, you know, do you and I, do we actually trust the Father that allow us that same level of obedience as what Jesus had? I know it's a tough question, but it's there. I promise I will not get political at all. Never will, but we have a possibility that the law in Victoria will find its way into New South Wales, meaning the government will, by law, like in Victoria, 
curb your freedom to pray for your children and your family and your friends, even if they request it of you. It's illegal in Victoria. It is coming. There will be a time where we will be standing up to even the local government. That is the time we will be confronted with the decision to either break the law or join the world. In other words, will we abide by the law of the world rather than God? It will be a decision that you all will make. As I said a couple of weeks ago, everything with Jesus has a purpose and it also has a result. And besides, it seems the Jews had forgotten that they even tried to kill him not long ago. And they are back here now in the Solomon's colonnade. They are rounding up on him and they are asking him questions. Verse 24, the Jews gathered around him. I should add, though, when we read here in the Bible about the Jews, it is not about Israel as a nation. It is about the Pharisees, the temple leaders. That's who we're referring to. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Up until now, there hasn't been a time when Jesus had publicly claimed outright to be God, but lots of claims have been made about him and where he has come from, such as the claim by the young man we had in chapter 9. He says, this man, if this man was not from God, he could do nothing. So he has claimed Jesus to come from God. And also in 10.22, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by demons. Can a demon open the eyes of man? Again, a claim that he is, Jesus is from God. But just put these two conclusions together and you have a clear view of the fact that Jesus is not from Satan. He's not demon-possessed, but he is from God. And yet, these people still ask him, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. This sort of behavior is reminiscent of what we also had in chapter 6 some time ago. In verse 30, so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? (laughs) I mean, uh, how many more miracles do you think you need? How much more evidence do you require? So Jesus gives them the answer in verse 25. I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The demand for an answer in verse 24 was leveled against Jesus, not for teaching them plainly, but they blamed Jesus for their lack of belief because they didn't understand and see the miracles and see what they meant. Now it's Jesus' fault that they don't believe. See, if you have family members that don't believe, it's not Jesus' fault. It's only Jesus can be clearer. They would also have believed on him, which is why Jesus debunks this claim altogether. He says, I did tell you, but you do not believe. And he follows up with the evidence to that fact, referring them to the miracles they have seen and concludes his answer by telling them they're not his sheep. Now, if any of those Jews, those Pharisees, had listened to the previous talks he had given about the sheep and the pens and all the rest of it, this would have really upset them because now they're being told they're not going to be saved. 
If they had listened well, they would have also changed our mind if they could. But Jesus is not finished yet. In verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's at this point that the Jews maybe should have pondered something in their little hearts. They were the people among them. They were people. They were disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, walking with Jesus. It's about three years now they had followed Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, they should have asked those disciples some pertinent questions as to why are you following him? What is it that you know that we haven't got yet? But Jesus still hasn't finished. In verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. It's getting a little deeper into the problematics of the Pharisees. If such language doesn't seem plain enough, then what will? He says, I will give them eternal life. Well, only God can give life. Only God has the authority to do so, and here Jesus claims that I will give them eternal life. The heads of these Jews must at this point be spinning. And it's highly likely that this shock treatment that they're receiving here has caused them to completely stop listening. They're unable to hear what they're hearing. So Jesus continues, verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And bingo, there you have it. Plain as a nose on your face. They have asked him to be plain and take away their suspense and he obliges them in some mighty way. The sentence is, verse 30, must have brought them out of their mist of their complete shock. But Jesus had fully claimed to be equal with Yahweh, the Father God. This is what the Jews had been waiting for all of this time. Something truly wrong and plainly blasphemic. Strong enough to condemn him to death. And the human mind reaches to a point where the brain simply stops functioning and we are left with instinctive reactions, aren't we? To whatever is threatening us, we just react. This is the case here with Jesus also. The Jews, their religion is life to them. And Jesus has just threatened their life by, in their eyes, simply reducing God to the level of this imposter, a mere man. And there's no doubt that we have at some time in our own lives also had this happen to us, I'm sure. I know when speaking to my father, my dad, worldly dad, that he was a pilot during the Second World War and a lot of his survival depended straight away on instinct. It wasn't a matter of thinking anymore. It was instinctively and rapid reactions. That is sort of similar to what the Jews here are doing. It is just now it's going to come and it's going to happen. And we can't foretell for sure if this is true in this situation, but it looks like it. And their reaction even tells that story to us. In verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Seems to be a repetitive thing with these people. 
The last time this happened was in the same temple court and Jesus had told them before Abraham was born, I am. This was back in chapter 8. Remember they had just asked him, if you are the Messiah, the Christ, tell us plainly what was not plain about calling yourself the very name God told Moses to use when they sent him. I am is considered so holy to these Jewish people, they won't even use it. They have got another part of it and they call it Yahweh. They will not use I am. But let's go back to the real issue at the stake here. In verse 30, I and the Father are one. That's the key of it. The statement in combination with no one can snatch them out of my hand in theological term means that Jesus claims to not only be one with Yahweh but equal with God in power and in glory. The fuse certainly has been lit and the bomb is about to go off in the Jews' heads. So here we go again. The Jews pick up their rocks and are more than ready to pass instant judgment, except Jesus still hasn't finished, has he? Verse 32, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? In verse 933, the young man had told them a theological truth. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And Jesus uses much the same language like miracles and from the Father. It is all connected. Stressing to them, he is doing the work of God the Father, which is also what he did in John 5. He says, by myself I can do nothing. I only do what the Father asks me to do. So why do they want to punish him for simply being obedient to the God that they're supposed to worship? In verse 33, they tell him, We're not stoning you for any of these miracles, reply the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, as we know, it was always their intent to destroy Jesus. That is all they're there for. No matter what he told them, and in 34 he tells them, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? And if he calls them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sets apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Where to start? (laughs) Where to start? Well, the best place, I think, is going to the Psalm 82 in verse 6 where it actually came from. It said, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Well, firstly note that it is gods with a small g, it's not a capital G. In the days of the Psalm and the Old Testament law, the men who were the judges of Israel were set apart to do the will of God, Yahweh. And they were consecrated to a special holy task. And in God's name, they were the ones that would exercise authority and power in Israel. They are the small g gods. And Jesus refers to this for himself. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? 
Same thing. He is set apart by God, sent into the world. So if the scriptures that was opposed to God, the Pharisees, in all their thoughts and their work, and give them an understanding of how it is then that the judges indeed, the Pharisees even, could be called gods. And yet they will not accept the same of Jesus. Certainly, if you think about it, in light of the fact that Jesus performed all these miracles and claimed them all to be from God. In other words, why can't they get the point that he is from God? It is only because they're not his sheep. They just did not have their hearts and minds opened by the Holy Spirit. There was no revelation within them. The truth that had to be plainly declared. And Jesus wasn't denying his claim to be God, only that he served in light of his miracles. So he's slowing down a little bit here for them. And he stresses this for them in no uncertain terms. In verse 37 he said, Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Yep. Now, still not good enough. Still want to destroy Jesus. Again, they try to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. This comes back to the very first question we started with. Do you believe the evidence? I recall vividly the night I read more than a carpenter and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus was made very clear to me and I truly believed the evidence as presented to me through the book and the Bible connected together. So again, the question is not a rhetorical question. If you like, the Pharisees do not believe the evidence or that they don't believe the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be just as much in trouble as what they are if you don't believe the evidence. If you don't know that Jesus is God. Then Jesus went back in verse 40. Across the Jordan where the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, here he stayed. And many people came to him. And they said, though... John never performed a miraculous sign. All that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. I guess we today, we live in a world at night. It's darkness. And we know that the light will come back. So what are we to be? Maybe we can be the moon. Simply reflecting the true light, into the world. The early church was almost what we could call a new moon and eventually the world actually sat up and took notice and the sort of change, that sort of change that we see the result of today could actually happen again if we turn our faces towards him. If we really focus on who we are and the message we can share, then that could happen yet again. Let us confess we have no brightness in ourselves. We are not the light. But then by his grace, he led us and allows us to use us to be a reflection of his glory in the world. 
simply by sharing his gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, and speak about the evidence of Jesus is what's going to be shining the light in the dark world. Let us indeed, let us be a full moon, bright as they come in this world, and pray that we will have a revival like no other in history. That is what we are here for. We've spoken of it early and many times. We are called by God, paid for by Jesus, for the purpose of sharing the gospel. The Jews just didn't get it. And we hope we all have it here. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we come to you to thank you for the Holy Spirit being placed deep in our hearts to reveal the truth of Jesus, the evidence we have been given, the fact that we can read the Bible and understand it and believe it and trust it. We pray, Lord, that you will indeed strengthen us even further as we live our lives day by day, and that we will serve you faithfully all the days that we have left here on earth. We know you are coming back and we need, can't wait for that to happen these days. But Lord, we trust that the time you have is perfect and we will be there with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.